I am Derek. That's my name. And um, I serve at uh, People's Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I've actually been on staff at People's Church now for, it'll be 20 years this August, in the role of um, kids pastor. Now I do a little bit more stuff like that. Um, so let me give you a little background on why this is, we call it you know, multi-ethnic kids ministry and why that's something that our church does. And what we began to coin this topic as was, is church like heaven. Um, and so that's the reality of it is if heaven is going to look like this, why don't our churches look like this? And so in 2001, when I came on staff, and it's funny to say that because it's now 21 and that's 20 years, it's like, wow. Um, 2001, I came on staff at our church and our church was 98% Caucasian. And right then at the time, Cincinnati had just finished going through a riot where they um, had a police shooting, an unarmed man was shot, and then the city just erupted in violence because it's like enough already. And so then you're seeing it again and again and again. And, and around that time, our, our lead pastor was like, you know, what is, a, what is a sin that the church hasn't addressed? What is something that we really need to dive into? And it began to be the topic on race. It's like, oh, we haven't done this. And um, we just began to tackle it very intentionally, began to have conversation, open conversations, and just began to show things and, and not be afraid to have hard conversations. And we know that's going to hurt one side, and one side's going to feel great. And it's like, okay, this is okay. To one side of us feels uncomfortable. The other side's cheering it on because we're getting to talk about it. And then how do we build um, relationships with one another? Now today, um, it's the... 40% Caucasian, 30% African-American, and 30% international. And we began to see a bigger international tick come in because they, they saw that, oh, there are African-American and our white community. They're actually doing church together. We feel safe here because they're able to do, to do church together. And uh, I, today I'm amazed at what God has done, what he's led us through, and what it has become. But it has not been an easy uh, journey for us. It's been challenging, as you guys can only imagine what that could be like. Um, when I say that, and I've shared this topic at different places, most people are like, wow, oh my goodness, you guys have done that. And I hear that, like, nod your head, like, wow, you, that's pretty cool. Um, and then most questions, the first questions is like, why did you do it? Why is it a little easier to answer than how we did it? Um, why? Well, because that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants his church to be united, and when we're united as one, the world will see Jesus. And for us, it's like, well, if the world's this messed up and the church is this messed up, how is the world, who are they looking towards? Well, the church needs to solve this and begin to tackle these, these issues and begin to tackle these things. Um, because the world will be like, well, you're saying this, but yet you have white church, you have Hispanic church, you have black church, you have all these different churches. And when you begin to understand why, it's like, oh, they, this is where they felt safe going. And so how do you make everybody feel safe coming into one place? to bring unity for, for Jesus. I yeah. Think just because we're a small group of people, yeah. we don't get one-on-one. So we have, we got talked yesterday about unity and what it looks like. Mm -hmm. So first you have agreement, and then you have alignment, and then you finally get to unity. Yeah. Well, unity involves sacrifice. It involves a lot of sacrifice. I didn't even think about, we literally have to have a personal sacrifice if this is what we want our church to look like. Yeah. So, so one of the things, I'm glad you said that. It's not in, it's not in my notes, but we'll just say it here. One of the, the things that we began to understand is in order to do church like this, you're going to have to give up something. Yeah. And it's not just, oh, all of the, the white part of your church has to give up something or all the, the black side of your church has to give up something. No, every 
everybody coming together to do church as one has to give up something. But what you're not asking them to get rid of is their identity. You don't want somebody to come in and be like, oh, you're going to come into our church, but yet you have to give up your culture. No, that's wrong. You know, like the term assimilation, you want to assimilate everybody to be one. Well, that means if I'm coming in and I'm not the, what you would say, the what would be the more majority, the 40%, I have to give up my identity and my culture to become like the rest of the 40%? Well, no, that's not becoming in unity. That's saying you give up everything to become like me because I'm the one that holds power. And so that was one of the things that we had to really begin to wrestle with is like, if we're saying everyone's going to come together and everyone's going to come together and we want church to be a church that looks like heaven and we want all this to happen, we all have to be uncomfortable with something. And so you might like 80% of what we do, but there's going to be 20% that you're not going to like. But if you don't like that 20%, will you stay? And that's where unity definitely comes into play with that is I like most of this, but there's 20% that I don't like, but I'm okay with that because I know that this place values my identity and they're not making me be somebody that I'm not. And that's a tough piece, especially when you're saying, oh, we're, we're for this, we're for this, we're for this. And then you dive into it, you're like, yeah, but you come and be like us. And then that group that's saying, you need to change to become like the majority, they're gonna feel left out and they're not gonna feel safe. And so they're not going to, to come. So that's a very good point, yeah. Being in unity, you you sacrifice something. And sometimes, especially in kids' ministry, the first thing that we began to, and this is getting ahead of myself, but the first thing that we sacrificed in kids' ministry as our church began to do this journey was we had to sacrifice our leaders first. Because you're like, all right, if this is going to work as a whole, we have to figure out where is it the most important for people to see. Well, they need to see that when they walk through the doors. They need to see this on stage. Why? Because if you're walking into a place where you're, the say you're the minority walking in, if you only see people on the stage that looks like the majority, in your mind you're thinking, well, I don't have a place to move up to, so how do you sacrifice your top quality people that could be in kids ministry? You gotta put them in places that are visible first. Because you guys know, kids ministry isn't always visible. And you know, for our church, we have a, we're in, middle, we're in city, Cincinnati. We're right by the University of Cincinnati. We don't have land. We don't have a campus. We have a four-story building. Um, so you walk in one door, you're on the first floor, and the, search, the main sanctuary is on the third floor, depending on what door you walk into. You could walk in the front door, and you're on, you feel like you're on the first floor, and you're not on the first floor. You're on the third floor, and then the kids go downstairs. And so it's not visible. There's no visible presence of kids. And so we made sure that our greeters were visible, our worship team was visible, and our leadership was visible. And so then you'd walk in, oh, I started to feel comfortable. Then as we had more, um, it was able to trickle down into the, the other groups. But there was a lot of sacrifice at first because we were all fighting for the same 10 people. Oh, we want to do this. Oh, I need you, and I need you. And I'm like, oh. So for me, I'm like, you guys do your thing. You get it going. I'll sacrifice and then we'll pick up the people as they come in, as they come in, you know, later. So, but God really wanted us to become like Revelation 7, 9. Um, and it's just a fantastic verse. I mean, it's just it's kind of where God was leading our church to, Revelation 7, 9. And it means to be a church that looks and reflects the demographics of our, of our community. 
And we knew that God was asking our church to be united across the greatest separation in our nation, and that was race. And because if the church can't do it, like I said, how is the world going to do this? And so that's kind of the why, and it, why makes more sense. Well, yeah, we see that. We see it even more now. I think we're going to continue to see it as it becomes more known. I, you know, sometimes I, I joke and, and I laugh because phones have been the greatest thing in the world. They've also been the worst thing in the world. But yet this stuff can't hide anymore because everyone's got their phone out every time there's somebody pulled over. And especially in the Cincinnati, there's usually somebody on a sidewalk with their phone just waiting. And so it's like that tension of is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? And you have one side saying stop doing it. You have the other side saying it's about time the rest of the world sees this. And so how do you come together? And how we learn by trial and error. We learned hard, especially in kids' ministry. How do we in kids' ministry uh, do curriculums if most curriculums are written for one person? You know, if you go to look for curriculums, and especially when we started 20 years ago down this journey, you would look at curriculums and you would get your, your uh, take-home pages or your color pages for your kids, and every kid in there is white in your color pages. Or every, every color page has a mom and a dad. And you're like, I don't have moms and dads even together in, in my church. It's like, how do you talk about these things? And so we struggled with curriculums. And so we had to figure that out. How do you take a curriculum that was meant for one group? And you can read it, and it feels like it's meant for one group. How do you make that for, for multiple groups? Now they're getting much better with video stuff, and you're seeing bits and pieces here. The one that we're using now at our church is the... Uh, is the Listen curriculum, the, the new one that they just put out from the Bible Engagement Program. It's fantastic. I mean, the first thing that sold me was there was a young, an African-American teenage boy and a Hispanic boy doing part of the, the lesson for the elementary kids. I'm like, sold me right there because it hit two different groups. And then the preschool one has a, an African-American girl and a Caucasian grandpa. I'm like, fantastic we're doing this and it's helping because you're seeing kids that look like who your audience might be and they're like oh that looks like me cool so that was one thing that we had to uh to figure out was was curriculum one of the other pieces that we we started to look at is how do you effectively instead of reaching an entire room of kids it was how do you effectively reach one kid and so if you're looking at your at your room of kids and you see that one kid that looks different I mean, this is because they're going to stand out when there's only one in the room. And, you know, 50 of them are white and one is not white. And you're like, how do I help that one kid feel like they're the most significant person in the room at that moment? Um, some of us, for now, what we, we get challenged, we get is how do we help the one kid that doesn't know English? Um, and we had to ask ourselves, how do we reach that child? Our first non-white families walking into the church felt fearful. They were questioning is this really going to happen? Can we really do this? Is my child really going to be taken care of here? Are they really going to be loved here? Um, are they going to just be left because I don't look like them? Am I going to not give them the attention or the care that they might give or they might receive at another place because everyone looks the same? And those are just real feelings that a parent would have. And I think all of us in this room are parents. We would feel the same way if, when we send our kids someplace else. Is my child going to be loved or cared for in a church, in a school, the way that I would want them to be? And now magnify that. You walk into a room where nobody looks like you. Oh, is my kid going to be welcomed here? Are they going to be taken care of here? And so we really had to take this, the view that one child was mine. 
So that one child sitting there by themselves, that's my child. So how would I make my child feel when they're the only ones in this room? And, and it really began to shape the way that our teachers started to view kids, how they started to interact with kids. It's like, yeah, that one kid, don't, don't single them out and be like, oh, they're so glad they're here. But it's like, no, how do you intentionally give that kid this, this uh, experience without making them be the focal point of the room? And they began to do that. Um, we had to look at how do they feel when they walk in? How do they feel when they hear the music playing in the background? Is this music what they would normally hear? Is it a style that what they would like? How do they feel when we have a video clip, if you're using a video clip to explain a point? What clip are we using? We had to walk through all of those different things. And we just had to look at what was the thought going through that family's mind in that time and would we want someone going out of our way to feel welcomed in a place and make them feel like they belonged? And when we, when we personalized it and we made them look at it as our own kids, yes, we would all want someone to go out of the way to make our kids feel good. So why wouldn't we do that for somebody that is definitely walking into a place already feeling fearful of do I, am I welcome here? And at, do, will, I, will I fit in and will I belong here? So, no, you're fine. So yeah, make that one kid feel welcomed and that they are the most important person in the room, that's key. And we could not even say that just for, you know, if you want to say children that are just different races, or you could even do the same thing with kids that are, have special needs. Make that kid with special needs feel like they are the most important kid in that room without making them the focal point of the room. But that's some of the things. One way you can do that, just learn their name. Um, Lily and Jennifer and Josh, those are easy to remember. But uh, Alameda and and Fraul and we have Iris and we have Anasimoses and you know we have all these different names learning just to say it correctly one makes that kid feel fantastic but it makes that mom or that dad or just what we call them we don't call moms or dads we don't have moms and dads anymore we have grown-ups because we don't know what's who's coming with who so every kid that comes in the room more than likely has a grown-up that they came with so instead of saying, oh, did you come with mom or dad? Or, oh, you live with mom and dad. No, you live with a grown-up, so your grown-ups take care of you, and that was one change we had to make. But that grown-up feels, oh, you learned my kid's name. So one of our Nigerian families, when I first came on staff, and they had been there for a while, um, their daughter's name was Olamide. And so when you looked at it on paper, it looked like it was spelled Olamide, and everyone would say it different. And I remember walking in, and I just asked her, What's your name? Because I'm new. I want to learn kids' names too. And she said, it's Olamide. And then she said, but all the teachers call me Olamide, or they call me this, and they call me this, and they don't say my name right. And my heart broke for that little girl. I'm like, what do you mean? You've been here this long, and they don't say your name right. And so I just remembered saying her name is Olamide. And so years later, as Olamide grew and then her brothers grew, um, her dad eventually became one of our board members in the church, and I was at a graduation, and he pulls me aside and says, you know, we stayed and gave a lot of our attention and our abilities and our giftings and we felt welcomed here because you learned her name it wasn't the teaching we stayed it wasn't because of the music we didn't care about those things but we stayed because of you treated her as if she was your own kid and you took the time to learn their name so that's one thing that i've really learned just take the time to learn their name and if you don't know their name just ask the parent how to say it ask that grown-up how do you say your name they're not going to be offended. I mean, that's the one thing I really learned. We have in our church, I would say 
65% of our kids in our church right now are from Ethiopia or Eritrea. There's some different names. For, say, just Western culture names. They're just challenging at times. And I will say, please say your name. And they'll say it. And if I don't hear it right, I'm like, okay, can you just say it a little slower for me, please? And so then, they, you know, they kind of joke and they laugh about it because now it's just the culture of, of the church. It's like, we want to learn your names. But I've never had someone come to me when I've asked them to please repeat their name or how do you say your name. There's never been somebody that's been, like, so irritated and so mad at me. I can't believe you can't say my name. You know, they don't. I've never had that. It's more of thank you for valuing me enough to learn my name. You know, even within our Ethiopian, the Ethiopian culture that we have, so you could have a daughter, her name is, I'll just use Abigail. Abigail Solomon would be her name. But Solomon is not her dad's last name. Solomon is his first name. So in that culture, they take their dad's first name as their last name. And so in the family, you could have three different last names. And so then you're trying to figure out who belongs to who, but it's taking that time to learn who it is. It's yeah, such a huge piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you probably had Abigail something abigail something because it wasn't solomon i'm trying solomon grameda is the dad's last name is grameda so you'd probably have alan abigail grameda she comes in to check in no my name's solomon yeah, yeah but we have grameda no that's not my name yeah but yeah but so for him he gets it he's like ah it doesn't matter yeah but yeah yeah but just take the time. It goes such a long way to learn a name. I mean, we want people to say our names right. We don't want people saying our names wrong. And then sometimes we're just like, ah, I just say it however. But, yeah, <laughs> she's over it. <laughs> but, it but it's like learning it like, oh, they finally got it. Yes, I don't have to tell them again. But, yeah, just, just learn your name. We have a saying now that um, it's so much fun to hear our kids say this. Um, but... Our, one of our mottos now in, in PEEPS is we're going to rise. And rise stands for reach all, include all, stand up for all, and embrace all. And what that ended up doing was it took the main core of our church's values of what we want to do, and we broke it down something simple for, for a kid to understand. So we're going to be a church that looks like heaven. Well, that doesn't make sense for a kid. But we are going to reach every kid. Oh, I get that. So every kid that looks like me, that doesn't look like me, that talks like me, that doesn't talk like me, that has a special need, that doesn't have a special need, our job is to reach them all. I can do that as a kid. And then they're like, oh, we're going to include all. So that means, well, we're going to have kids that are black. We're going to have kids that are white. We're going to have kids from other Africa. We're going to have kids from, that are from Hispanic cultures. We're going to have all these kids. But yet they're all going to be included. And even though we're different and we all have our differences, we're all valued and we're all important. And these differences are given to us by God who's created us. And if he's created us all to be different, then we're going to include everybody. So that was our include all. Our stand up for all got into this idea for our kids of how do you do justice in a church? What can a kid do for justice? You can stand up for everybody. Everybody, the kids understand bullying. They understand wrongs, but they don't know how to do anything about it. You stand up for that person. So that means speak up for the kid that can't speak up for themselves speak up for the community that can't speak up for themselves do these different things and they were like oh we can stand up for all and then you embrace all of them and that's what god you love god you love all people so that's kind of how we we did that so we want kids to make sure they're making friends um if your setting is a little more diverse make sure that kids 
sit with each other, not just within the groups that they feel most comfortable with, because we're good at doing that. It's just natural for us to walk into a room, oh, I can, I'll sit over there because it just feels safe for me. Um, and so for us in the kids' ministry, we had to figure out how do we let kids feel safe, but yet still have them mix with other people. Our, our Ethiopian kids are going to want to sit with the other Ethiopian kids, and it makes sense because they haven't seen them all week long. So they're coming in the church like, oh, we get to see our friends. But yet, no, there's a whole other group over here that are friends. So how do you do things like that? So you just find little simple ways to mix them up. We would find little ways like, all right, everyone that's got brown hair, you're going to sit over here today. Well, that could be 95% of the room. So then you just mix them all up or finding just different silly little things to get them to, to do that. It's not their fault if they go and sit with somebody that's comfortable. That's not their fault because that's just naturally what they're going to do. But something, you know, simple like, oh, uh, yeah. Find some, sit with somebody that's got the same month of birthday as you. That's going to break them up. Sit with somebody that's got the same color shoes as you. Find someone that is the same age as you. You know, but you can't sit with your, somebody that you know. But find someone that, and it, so it slowly got our kids to, when they come in, they would, oh, if we sit all together in a group, Pastor Derek's going to make us move. And so it just began to train them that they didn't want to get up and move, and so they would just automatically go, and you began to watch, huh, they're starting to do this. They're starting to break outside of their groups, and they're beginning to sit with uh, other people. So doing it over and over in different challenges is just such a simple way to help kids do that. Uh, we started to, when we would play a game, um, we wouldn't bring them up front to play games anymore. We wouldn't bring them on stage because you would have two people playing a game and you'd have 80 kids looking at the two people and so you only have two participating. And then what ended up happening for simple little things like uh, memory verse, we used to, have to do a memory verse challenge, which was fun. They would get a, they'd get a wrestling belt and it had memory verse challenge on it. They get to walk around, picture taken with this belt and they're super proud about it. But what we began seeing was the kids that couldn't speak English weren't winning the belt because they would never raise their hand to do the challenge in front of the room because they were embarrassed by their English. It's just eye-opening, like, what? Oh, that makes total sense. They're not going to go up and embarrass themselves, so how can we do this? And so it was extra work, but every memory verse now has a hand motion. And so if you can learn a hand motion, but you can't speak English, you're going to, when we do those challenges, you're going to win. And so now most of our kids are just, they will do the hand motions, especially our immigrant kids that are coming in from a, to America for the first time. They can do those motions, and that's good enough for us. We're like, you got the motions, you got the gist of this memory verse because you can do this, this, and this. Um, and it helped them to feel comfortable. They, again, they felt welcomed. And we started keeping them off the stage and doing it more as a group and finding, always finding ways to not just think about two kids or four kids. And, and it's hard because you want the kids to come on stage. It's funny to get kids up there, especially if they're – you know, having to be, make it look silly, but yet you had a whole other group that's like, this felt left out because they would never get picked because they couldn't get on stage because their English may not be good enough for, uh, for them and, or they just didn't feel comfortable doing that. But we want people coming into our church that, to know that, you know, no matter your race, there's a place for you to serve and that you being here is important. So even when you talk about including people, make sure you include a space for all of them in leadership. Um, sometimes, that's hard because it's easy, again, for us to pick people that we're, we know. And in our circumstance, in our, in our church, it's, you do have a lot of international families, again, that struggle with English and that you're wanting them to come in. And so there's that fear of, I don't speak well enough. How can I serve in a kids' ministry that has a lesson? 
And so it made us change our lessons. How do you make a lesson that is simple now? And so when we look at stuff, we're like, how do I simplify this so much to where I'm coming in and English is my second language? How do I use them to be able to teach a lesson to kids? And it's not always ideal because you want your kid to learn and we want them to do A, B, C, and D, and E. And you're like, well, sometimes you might only get through A. So we began to have to say, okay, what can we do across all of every age to make things as simple as we possibly can for our families so that way we can use we can use everybody and also to help these other families not feel like they're they can't serve because language is a barrier for them and so we had to figure out how do we find ways to use them where maybe they don't have to speak or to be involved and do something and so it's been a, it is a challenge it's still a challenge we don't have it all figured out yet because it's like there's not a model like here you go here's your handbook on how to do this and it's all trial and error because everybody's multi-ethnic situation will look different I mean it could be a, a white Hispanic population and how you do things together you know it's everything's going to look different it just happens to be we're in a city where you just have all these different cultures coming in and so that is makes it it's like a, a hodgepodge of chaos and you know for us it's like we've had to be sometimes okay with chaos and then you learn that our international side doesn't mind chaos they don't mind a little chaos they don't mind showing up late well the Western culture they don't want, they, you know, you show up on time. We start on time. We end on time. You get here on time. You pick your kids up on time and you go. And the other side's like, well, I got the church. Cool. You know, I'm here. I'm 45 minutes late, but I'm here, you know, and then they'll stay 45 minutes after everybody else is done because they're, they value two different things. And so for us, we just had to be like, well, we're going to have to be okay with that because it's uncomfortable for me because I love time and I love structure and I want you to start at 930. And so it's like, what do we have to do to stop having so many interruptions? Well, if we start at 9.30, why don't we start our kids' stuff at 9.45? Why don't we just wait 15 minutes? Why do we need to start right on time? And then our teachers are like, this is great, because now we only have to cover 45 minutes of a class. I'm like, I know, right? You know, <laughs> just give the kids more time, and you're not having all the interruptions. But then they want to pick up their kid in the middle of the, of the second hour. I'm like, well, now we have to staff it a little more so someone can be at the door to help. And, and it's, it's just all these things that you have to be okay with being uncomfortable a little bit so um learn cultures don't just assume but learn and ask questions and then ask for forgiveness before maybe you ask the question it's like you know what i'm really sorry i just don't know but can you explain to me this 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 and so it's, you're coming at a, a posture of uh of just humility at first instead of going hey i want to know why you know just i'm really sorry i don't know this i'm sorry that i just I don't know, but can you please explain to me this? And then after they give you their explanation, big, thank you. Don't start talking. You know, I think sometimes we, we start talking way too soon and we don't just listen. And I think if we would just listen to explanations, we would learn a lot more. Then the other side, especially the person you're asking the question to, is going to feel heard. Because a lot of times what we found is that when you ask that question at first, they're expecting you to say something because that is how they're conditioned because that's been their interactions yeah but yeah but no it's just like ask the question and then say thank you thanks you really helped me so that was something that we we did learn about their foods learn about their uh, their likes find out their struggles find out how they do life together um, go eat dinner with them you know find just if you've never had soul food go have soul food just hey can I just go have some soul food with you? Will you take me to a, a soul food restaurant? I just, I've never had it. I, what is it? They'll probably be more than happy to be like, your African-American friends will be like, sure, let's go. 
are you sure you really want to do this? Yes, I want to see this side that I don't know. I never got to experience that. And, you know, our Ethiopian families has been fantastic, too, because it's like, I want to experience your food. And it, sometimes you'll be like, I don't know if I want to eat this, because I don't know. Because my, fir my first time I ate at an Ethiopian big party, you go and you get your plate, and I'm looking, and I find no silverware. There's no silverware. And so I'm like, I don't know what to do. And so they're like, let me help you. And they're laughing. They think it's funny. And they're like, take the injera, lay it down on your plate. But that's bread. No, it's injera. It's a plate. No, that's bread. No, that's your plate. Okay. So you have a plate on top of a plate. And you're there laughing. I'm just asking. I'm trying. Help me understand. I got to get this. And so then, then you take your food and you scoop it on top of the injera. And so now everything is now melding into one pile of, of food on your plate. And <laughs> it would be for some. And so you're like, okay. And so now how do I eat it? Well, you got to get more injera. And so then you get more injera, and then you're breaking it off, and then you take it with your fingers, and you eat it. And they're just, at first I'm like, my fingers are dirty. Well, then you just get more napkins. I mean, that is just kind of like that. And so um, the more you did it, the more it just became fun. Because like, oh, this is really a neat experience. And they're enjoying it because they're seeing you struggle and they're thinking it's funny, and then we're laughing with each other, and then you come to find out this is actually really good. I, like, I would have never thought to eat this, but it's fantastic. And so I'd always joke with one, they have a, a food called kitfo. So kitfo is marinated raw beef. And I was like, you know, if you ever made that, I would try it. Just because I'd tried everything else, and they're like, really? Like, yeah, I think I would, I would give it a shot. I went to a birthday party, and the family remembered me saying that. <laughs> and there it was, sitting at the table, was raw ground beef, marinated. And like, Pastor, we made you, we made you kitfo. I'm like, did you make me the cooked kitfo, or did you make me the raw kitfo? And they're like, the raw. Because we heard that you said if we made it, you would try it to learn our culture, because it's a delicacy for them. Okay, so I put it on my plate, and everybody stopped because it's like, what? White Pastor Derek's going to try this? You know, this is kind of really what it was, and they laughed. They're like, you're going to eat that? You're white. You're going to eat this? I'm like, well, all of you were eating it, so why not? And so I tried it. It was actually very, very good. I mean, it was really, really good. I was like, I did it, and then they all laughed. They all thought it was funny. You know, they, we just had a good time to joke, but learn their foods, learn their struggles, learn their things. It goes a long way to build that relationship with, with these families. And I think that's the biggest key, number one, is if you can build a relationship with them, it's going to go a long way because you're building trust. And most of the time, it's not you needing to trust them. It's them needing to trust you, especially as they're a minority trying to come into a what a majority culture in your church would look like. You really need to go out of your way to help that family build trust with what you're trying, what you're trying to do. We uh, celebrate diversity. So find music that the kids like. Sing songs written in different languages uh, that are represented in your room. Find songs that incorporate all types of, of music. And I think kids' worship music is getting a lot better at definitely incorporating the different genres of music. It's, it's getting harder and harder as now I'm 40 to do the songs when I remember it was just simple hand motions and now you have to have a degree in dance to do some of the, I'm like, what the heck? When did we have to know how to dance to do these things? And 
thank you, Jesus, for videos that have people dancing on them because that's what we use. You know, make sure that you're using images and movies that are not only of one race. And it was something that we really had to think through. You're like, you just take for granted. Oh, I'm going to use a clip. Oh, that Disney clip would be perfect for it. Now you're like, wait, would, does that have everybody in it? Or what video might somebody else like or, you know, things like that. So um, look through the lens of that one child sitting in the room that doesn't look like the rest of the room because he may never verbally tell you how they feel, but uh, it will go along when we do that. Celebrate the diversity live in the room. From time to time, we'll still tell our kids, look around the room and find someone who looks different than you are. When we first started, that was super hard. I mean, it was like, oh, there's one kid, and they all look at the one kid. I'm like, you know, now it's like, look around the room and find someone that's different than you, and it's like, oh, the whole room looks different than us. And, and, and then say things like, isn't it great that God's made us all in his image to look different, and he wants us to be friends with him? Or um, Looking different is a good thing. You know, help the kids have meaningful relationships, not just surface and show them how to do this. Birthdays are a huge thing to go a long way in the church to build friendships. And that was one thing that we really had to challenge our, our families with is when you have a birthday and if you're going to invite kids from church, don't just invite all the kids that look like your son or daughter because the other kid's going to find out and they're friends at church, but they didn't get invited to go to the birthday party. And it, it hurt families' feelings. And so you really had to go out of your way to say, hey, you know, come to my birthday party. Or you would invite families. I remember, you know, we would, we would invite families to come to, like, my daughter Lily's birthday party. And only one group of kids would come to the birthday party. And we wouldn't invite everybody. We'd try to invite different people all the time and try to do things. And it's like at one point we had a group of kids that just they wouldn't come to birthdays. And it hurt Lily because these were her friends at church. But why won't, why won't they come to my birthday party? It was hard to go and ask. I had to like, Stacy, why won't you let, you know, your daughter come to Lily's birthday party? And what we ended up finding was th that group of families didn't understand why you would celebrate a birthday party like that. Oh, we didn't realize that this is an American tradition of how you do birthday parties. That's not like that in our culture. So we didn't think it was that big of a deal. Once they realized it was a big deal, and that made Lily feel good, then the kids were there at the birthday party. So then you would be able to do that. But it, would took, it took that courage to go and ask that question, and it took you know, humbling yourself to say, would you please come? It would mean a lot to us. And it, what, when you have a birthday, would you please do that for somebody else? Because it makes these other groups feel really nice, but yet you're doing life together. So that was something that we, we did. And then you know, I really had to learn just really what was going on. My house at one point was in a nice little quiet Cape Cod suburb on the outside of the city, and my old neighbors thought it was crazy that I was going to move into, like, the city city. And they're just like, what are you going to be doing, and why would you do this? I'm like, well, because I want to know. I really want to learn. I hear it. I hear this is what it's like. I want to see for myself. And so we moved into the neighborhood that I, that I currently in now, and I got out of, the, out of the car, out of the moving truck, and pull in. My kids jump out. They're excited because they got a new house. And my neighbor comes out, and he just looks at me. And he walked over. Hi, I'm Frank. And that was kind of it. I'm like, hey, Frank, nice to meet you. And he stops. I don't, I don't mean to be rude, but why are you living here? That was the first question he asked. And I'm like, well, that's a weird question to ask me. You know, cause I'm like, well, because I, I bought the house. I like the house. I think it would be a great place to live. He's like, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, all the white people live down the street. You don't live up here. Why are you living here? And then my two girls got out of the car, and he saw his two daughters, and they ran over and gave his daughters a hug. 
And I go, that's why we're moving here. Because I want my daughters to experience this side of life. Because of where they've seen, they've only seen, they've seen one side. Their church doesn't look like their community where they live. I want their church to, I want their community to look like their church. And he's like, that's the first time a white child has ever hugged my kids. What is so different about you? I was like, well, first off, I love Jesus. And I goes, and I want to learn from you. I want to learn. So as we began to learn simple, just simple things like what the community was like and the struggles that the community was having and simple things like when it would rain, the storm water would fill up in our basements because they could, the city wouldn't come out and flush the storm drains because it was full of junk. I'm like, well, have you called? Yeah. Well, let me call. So then I would call, and 30 minutes later, yeah, they're out there flushing the storm drains. You know, he's like, that's what we've lived with. And you're like, okay. So I began to learn. And I think the more you begin to learn and build those relationships, it's better. And I took that back into the church world of you have families coming in, you're seeing hurt from families, and you're seeing all this. And you're like, I get it now because I'm, I've intentionally placed myself in relationships with people that look different than me. And when you begin to do that, yeah, it becomes way, way more real. Um, but yeah, celebrate those different things. Celebrate the diversity that God, God has created. Because our church is made up with many different people and cultures, we came up with a little saying, be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And our kids now know that there are going to be songs they like, there's songs that they don't like, but that's okay because somebody else in the room is going to like it and that they still need to worship and dance because they're not doing it for themselves, they're doing it for God, but they're also doing it because they're going to include everybody. And so that's been a really fun thing. Something that we've said is just don't assume, learn and ask questions, and then ask forgiveness. Listen to their stories, you know, ask them how to do those things. Create ministries in your church that are not only going to help the child, but help the entire family. If you've got a large immigrant population, you want to reach them, just start English as a second language. <laughs> They'll be there. And it's not only helping their kid, but you're helping that family then grow and, and just learn <coughs> great other, other skills. And so uh, help kids with their homework. I mean, could you imagine having to go to another country where you, English isn't the primary language? Your kids go to a, a school where they don't know the language and they're coming home with homework. How in the world are these families going to, to pull this off? So set things up where, where kids are are helping them do homework and, and just simple little things like that go a huge huge way when you effectively reach the child you gain that family and we saw that time and time again you know when you would effectively reach you know just whether it's an african-american child and helping them with their schoolwork that goes a long way for that single mom that's struggling that's wondering you know what's going to happen is my kid going to make it or the immigrant family that's like i don't know if my kid's gonna gonna be able to get through this I need help, you know, especially now. I can't imagine what it was like. I struggled now having my kids online doing school, and I'm educated and, and navigate, you know, school systems pretty well. Did not be able to do that, how these kids have, have made it. So, But I dare say that every church represented today in, in most of our communities across Ohio, their Walmarts are probably diverse. And so it's like if our Walmart is – our church could be if we just take the time to uh to do it and it's going to take work and be okay with that work and be okay with with the mess that it that it does that it does bring and you can ask hard questions in your church of why don't things work or what's going on and you know one thing that we had to ask was as our church began to transition we saw one group coming to like midweek programming and one group not coming to midweek programming 
and you had to sit down with everybody together, and you didn't ask the kids that are coming, you know, the families why they're not coming. You had to sit down with the families that aren't coming with the group of leaders and say, what's going on? How come, why don't you come? What is missing? How are we not doing this? And they began to share, this doesn't work for us because we don't understand it, and this doesn't fit us, and we won't do these things because it's just not part of us. Can you offer these things, or can we try to meld things together to make a bigger or a better midweek program? And we had to do those, and it was tough. I mean, there were times when I was like, I don't want to have this conversation with, with these leaders, but we have to start changing because the church is changing, our classes aren't changing, our kids aren't showing up, so we have to, we have to do these things. And one thing that I rem- had to learn was that the families don't come because they don't like me. It's they just don't come because they don't like what you offer. And how to separate that was a, was a challenge for us. And, and once you could separate the two of what I'm doing is not who I am, it went a, went a long way. Um, I mentioned earlier about diverse leadership. It's hard because in most contexts, if your church is all m- predominantly one side, diversifying your leadership is going to be super tough because there's just very few people to pull from. But um, pulling from those and getting those families and those people into places of leadership that's visible is number one, the key. Um, we mentioned that at first because we talked about unity, but when you get people to see somebody that's, that looks like them on the stage, that goes a long way because it shows that I can raise up in, in leadership. And I think, you know, that's – take that just in this in the world context of, you know, for me, I was able to see people that ran – companies or businesses that looked like me and so that's like oh I can do that I can get to that place and then if you never get to see that growing up you're going to go and want to do what you see as a leader and so you can look at if you just want to say oh yeah it makes sense why a lot of if you want to say African-American families they value sports and the entertainment and music because that's who they that's their who they see in leadership they see sports and leadership, so they're going to, oh, we can get there in leadership because it's not seen across the board. And so take that, something simple as that, and bring it into a church piece. If they don't see somebody on the stage in leadership, why would you stay? You don't have that place to go, or I don't, my kid's not going to have the same opportunity as, as another child. So. so the journey that we have been on as a church has been amazing. Um, a few years ago, well, it was many years now, we used to be First Christian Assembly. That was the name of the church, and now we're People's Church to represent we want to be all people. Um, it, it's a 110-year-old-plus church that we are. We've got people coming in from all backgrounds of life, and I, I love the challenge now because it's just fun to see what God can do as he brings people together. It doesn't mean it's easy because it's definitely not. You can only imagine what this last year was like for us. Um, you know, having everybody from both sides from the aisle and far this way and far this way and people in the middle like, hey, everything's good and, and not everything's good. But then you have to have conversations about how everything's not good and how do you keep this side and how do you keep this side. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to keep unity for our people so that where the world can can see Jesus. Um, some cool things have happened because of what we've done in the city to where when major if you want to say major race things happen they call our pastor say hey help us help navigate through this um the wall street journal sent in a crew one sunday and did a video on us 
and did articles. The LA Times came out one time and did an article during one of the elections. And it's just crazy things. Major League Baseball, when they had the All-Star Game in Cincinnati, we got to be a part of a race summit inside the, for the Major League Baseball, and that was what they opened up for, for people. And NPR has been there. CNN has interviewed and had us on TV for different segments. And so not to say that we're doing it for that, but it's like, hey, because of what we've tried to do and the struggle that we've walked through, it's made Jesus the center point here. And it's given you a voice in our community that a lot of other places might not have. And for us, it's like someone had to start first. And now, it, for me, it's, it's exciting to see where it's like, oh, I'm hearing stories of this is what we're trying to do, and this is what we're going for. And I'm like, go for it. It's going to be tough, but, man, you do this because the blessing that comes on the other side of it is just, is just fantastic. So Jesus wants a church who's going to lay down their wants and differences and unite in the name of Jesus and to show the world who God truly is and to show the world that God created something that is diverse and he is creative, so...